Hello and welcome. I'm Uri. And I'm Rifki. And you're listening to Talking Tachlis, the podcast where we talk about Jewish life and life in general. So Uri, we are recording this on Monday, August 29th, and I think it was this morning, uh, a new, um, kind of a new development has come out in the sort of, I don't even, the, the YU LGBTQ uh, activist group that they had been right. trying to form. I don't even think activist is actually the right word. Maybe support group. Yeah, I think um, it may have been. A, the, I think I saw that a couple of days ago. Maybe there was an additional. Oh yeah. Uh, a, a development today. I'm not sure, but yeah, I did see that. That they, uh, why you tried to appeal the judge's decision that they have to allow the the club, and the appeal was denied, and mm-hmm. now they're they're going to try again, and I guess at a higher court, to the New York Supreme Court. Uh, I think to try to get another no appeal. now no the now US they're, they're appealing court? to the Supreme Court of the United States oh, wow. yeah mm-hmm. yeah there's a you can you can read it it's really pretty crazy to see but uh, it's it starts to the Honorable Sonia Sotomayor Associate oh, wow. Justice of the Supreme Court so yeah they're um, they're they're looking for a few things specifically uh, they're looking for whether the New York City Human Rights Law can be applied to override YU's religious judgment uh, about this about creating, you know, school groups. Mm-hmm. They're also looking for whether the human rights law is even a, a fair law because it already exempts many organizations and, you know, things like that. And uh, another sort of technical thing, which I had trouble understanding. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll see if the Supreme Court actually takes their case. Right. Um, do you know, I think why you actually has been involved in they have I, I ha- okay i i had a professor in yu manfred weedhorn english professor fascinating guy great name he fascinating guy he dressed really interestingly uh, i loved his, his his suits that he wore i think he was a holocaust survivor like he was born um around that time i'm not sure in what country um great teacher and anyway in the like early 80s he tried to like unionize with other professors right. at I YU, it was about unionizing. and YU didn't want him to unionize. And then they took it to court, and it went up to the Supreme Court, and he actually lost. YU won yeah. to in order to deny professors being able to unionize. But then he remained at YU. This was in the early '80s. He had tenure, I think, already. And then I had mm-hmm. him in like 2008. Yeah, and he was still there, and he was still great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was I, that was at least one time that that YU went to the Supreme Court. I th- that's the only other time that I know of, and I just love that they were so, um, you know, passionate about unions. Yeah. <laughs> well, professors on one side and the university on the other, but uh, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, so I guess uh, we'll see what happens. We'll, you know, we'll um, see what happens. I find it upsetting. I mean, n- this is not this week's topic, but I just it bothers me because I don't think this is the hill that YU needs to die on. You know, like that they're putting so much effort and they're hiring this like huge law firm and whatever. It's like to take this all the way to the Supreme Court. Is that really the fight that they want to be having in the Supreme Court of all things that could go, you know, like it bothers me. Yeah, it's 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 not a great look for YU. And it's also sad. I mean, I can if YU is thinking this is going to severely curtail many things that they would want to be able to have control over uh, and they because, you know, as a religious institution and they think that this, you know, represents other things and they're whatever, like. I don't know. It just it feels I, I think, A, I think you're right that this is an odd choice for YU to, to you know, when people talk about donating to YU and it's like, well, this is where the money goes. So is this is this what you think of as a good use of money. Yeah, I hope not. But yeah. But also just thinking about what it is to be LGBTQ in the firm world and how 
every single step feels like more and more of a rejection for these these kids. I mean, they're kids. And like, I understand that why you over and over can say that they think that this is not about people and this is not about, you know, whatever. But I, I don't know. It just feels like there's a lot of pain there. And, you know, we I'm, only care about feelings, non facts at the show. Right. But I, I mean, I, I guess I have to push back just briefly on that because I, I there are plenty of out gay students at YU. And I don't think if you ask them, I, I haven't spoken to that many, uh, you know, recently, but I don't think they would say they feel unsafe or in danger or whatever. Like they can't be. I said they feel rejected. Okay, rejected. Okay, they can't have the club. I don't, you know, they're still there. And I but don't... I'm saying it feels like it feels like it's not just about the club, though. Like I'm saying, if it, it, yes, it, it's maybe they feel safe. Yeah, I'm, I'm no, not. No, I think it depends. I think safety. it just depends how you look at it, what you focus on. And I think outsiders could have a misperception that th- there's some sort of like oppression going on at YU, and that students are scared to like be open about being uh, gay. And that's just not the case. Just I'm just saying, just to put that out there to clarify yeah uh sure and i also I, just I, think the judge also just to, to put, i don't know what that's correcting okay okay just to, <laughs> i i just feel a little bit defensive especially after i just said that i'm very disappointed in them but also the the fact that the judge in in her ruling said that yu is not a religious institution i think that really just fueled the flames of the defensiveness because that was just i think a silly thing to say and it obviously is not true and now yu is like sort of harping on that like i saw the the lawyer statement that is the, the the law firm that's defending them use that line in their defense of saying like the the judge said that we're why is not a religious institution and everybody knows that's ridiculous and that's why we're fighting for our religious freedom so like you know what i mean like that line was just dumb i think and and uh counterproductive but the whole thing like i said is upsetting yeah so we'll we'll see what happens you know maybe we can get a, a lawyer to come on the show and explain their case yeah that could be interesting well you know, I had just said that I don't think this is the fight that I think why you should be engaging in and taking to the Supreme Court. Um, so one thing that I think why you should be uh, fighting against and that is much more important to our community is the threat of anti-Semitism. And as our listeners know, that is one that of our... That is a transition. <laughs> oh, you like that? As, wow. as our listeners know, this is one of our favorite topics, one of my favorite topics, so we just can't seem to get away from it. But we actually haven't discussed it head on in a while and so this week we're gonna just like dive right into the thick of it so there there are actually two recent stories um that we want to talk about that are sort of related and maybe we'll find out how related we think they are but just because they're both uh happened recently and are about anti-semitism we want to raise both of those issues so a couple of weeks ago palestinian president mahmoud abbas was in berlin germany speaking at a news conference with german chancellor olaf scholz at the news conference a reporter asked abbas if he would apologize for the murder of 11 israeli athletes at the hands of palestinian terrorists at the 1972 munich olympics as this year marks the 50th anniversary of that attack instead of apologizing Abbas responded by saying that Israel has committed 50 massacres of Palestinians from 1947 to today, and he then repeated in English, 50 holocausts. When Abbas made these remarks, Schultz grimaced but did not respond. However, the next day on Twitter, he posted in German, Hebrew, and English, although interestingly not in Arabic, I am disgusted by the outrageous remarks made by Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas. For us Germans in particular, Any relativization of the singularity of the Holocaust is intolerable and unacceptable. 
I condemn any attempt to deny the crimes of the Holocaust. Deborah Lipstadt, who we've discussed in the past and is the Biden administration's special envoy for monitoring and combating anti-Semitism, tweeted that, quote, PA President Mahmoud Abbas's claim that Israel committed 50 holocausts is unacceptable. Holocaust distortion can have dangerous consequences and fuels anti-Semitism. So this story is upsetting enough, and hopefully we can get into our thoughts on it, as well as our thoughts on the reactions to the story, and maybe what we think it says about Israel and the Palestinians. But we also want to talk about an opinion piece that was published this week in the New York Times. Well-known left-wing journalist and former Talking Tachlis guest Peter Beinart published an article entitled, Has the Fight Against Antisemitism Lost Its Way? In the piece, Beinart, who has publicly stated his opposition to the existence of a Jewish state, takes issue with Jewish groups who accuse critics of Israel of antisemitism. He writes in the article, In a terrible irony, the campaign against antisemitism as waged by influential Jewish groups and the U.S. government, has become a threat to freedom. It is wielded as a weapon against the world's most respected human rights organizations and a shield for some of the world's most repressive regimes. Beinart even spends a number of paragraphs criticizing Deborah Lipstadt, who we just mentioned, for her response to the Amnesty International accusation against Israel of being an apartheid state, and of her cooperation with Saudi Arabia and the UAE when she was there together with President Biden. Ultimately, Beinart seems to be arguing that not only are the accusations of anti-Semitism against Israel's harshest critics unfounded and absurd, they are in fact harmful and dangerous. So Rifki, what do you think of these two stories? Do you see them as being connected with each other in some way? How do they relate to your understanding of anti-Semitism? And do you think, based on Peter Beinart's article, that we may need to reevaluate our definitions of anti-Semitism? So there's a, there's a lot here, Uri. First mm-hmm. of all, wonderful introduction Thank on a very you. complicated uh, topic or two, to, two topics. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I feel like I, I'm beating a dead horse on this one. And it's funny because at the same time as we both talk about anti-Semitism often, I feel like I say this often when we talk about anti-Semitism. It is so uninteresting to me. And I think in some ways really unimportant to say X is anti-Semitic, Y is not. To me, those feel really, really not the point of the issue, right? When Abbas said the ridiculous thing that he said, ridiculous for, for multiple reasons, when he said that, I think it's really important for everyone, including the chancellor of Germany, including Jewish groups, including everyone to, you know, explain why he's wrong, explain why it's not true, and explain why saying and feeling things like the Holocaust didn't happen, which by the way is not what he said, it's what he said in in other ways, let's say, in other contexts, he, or let, let's say- Holocaust distortion, I think, is what it would be called, okay. not denial. Sure. Yeah, and you could say why Holocaust distortion is scary and dangerous and what could possibly happen from it, but saying it's bad because anti-Semitic to me feels like a useless thing to say. Like, there should be meaning behind it. Say it's bad because A, it's not true, and B, it leads to X, Y, Z. So this language of anti-Semitism, both for the Abbas thing and for the Peter Beinart stuff, to me feels like such an unimportant way of having this conversation. That, that's kind of the, well, just my, my starting point here. What, what do you okay, think, Okay, so can I, so I'll respond to that before we move on to the next part. Please. I, I strongly disagree, and I actually think um, that's where I see these two stories 
kind of intertwining and being importantly connected. Um, obviously, Peter Bonner talks about Israel throughout his thing. It's all about Israel. And so Abbas mm-hmm. obviously relates to Israel. But I think it's very important to call out his anti-Semitism. And it's funny because when I we were talking about this story, you know, you and I off air last week before the Beinart piece was published, I was actually going to, going to give Deborah Livstadt a hard time, like I did last time also. I was going to say, when we talked about her last time, she basically said that the or the the ultra orthodox Jews at the Western Wall who were who were like sort of yelling at and, and ripping up uh, prayer books of the reform and conservative Jews there, she basically called that anti semitism. But here, she doesn't call Abbas what Abbas said anti semitism. She said it fuels anti semitism. She's taking a step removed from it, which I think was just like. A political thing because she doesn't want to upset Palestinians because like her whole thing is the Holocaust and and combating Holocaust denial and distortion. This is right in her wheelhouse of anti-Semitism, and she didn't call it anti-Semitism, and that bothered me. But then once I saw the Peter Beinart thing, that that goes out the window because now Deborah Lipstadt is on my side. It's like we can quibble here and there about the little wording, but Peter Beinart says like that's not anti-Semitism at all. What you know what she what she uh, tries to fight against, but. The, sorry, to answer your question, the reason why I think it's very important to call what Abbas said anti-Semitic, and along with his many other statements, like the temples never existed in Jerusalem and all his Holocaust stuff, like what people like Peter Beinhart want to claim is that the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians is purely political, or it's about land, or it's it's just a you know this conflict between these two countries or groups or peoples has nothing to do with religion. So when the leader of the Palestinians talks about the Holocaust and makes these anti-Semitic slurs, and he said things that are much worse in the past, I think it's very important to call that out as anti-Semitic because he's not saying you're on our land. He's saying, you know, you Jews made up stories about the Holocaust. You actually perpetrated the Holocaust yourself for your own purposes, which is what, what he wrote his dissertation on, his PhD. Anyway, so I don't know if I'm saying that. It's totally clear. But I, I don't sense. even think I really understand. Like, let, let's even just take a step back. Abbas has said crazy and upsetting and infuriating and non-factual things about the Holocaust many times. Right. Here, what he said was nothing about the Holocaust. The reason people were upset is because it felt like a comparison, right? What he talked about when he was asked to apologize for the slaughter, the murder, the, the you know terrorism against these 11 Israeli athletes, what he did was say, why would I apologize for the murder of Israeli athletes when Israel commits Holocaust? Right. Which is a bizarre thing to say because it's not about the Holocaust, right. I mean, the right. murder right. of 11 right. athletes. Well, he wasn't but then asked he doesn't the then say, oh, why would I do that when uh, Israel was actually responsible for the Holocaust? Or why would I do that when the Holocaust didn't actually happen? Or was what He totally talked about these things and he gave specific examples right he talked about things that he that israel has done that he was comparing to holocaust and then obviously his walking it back right. was so like this. i, like I, I guess whatever. what i'm sure tr- what yeah. he did was upsetting and ridiculous but this was i i don't fully understand what we're, what we're actually okay, saying so what's the claim yes, what i'm trying to say is that when we have a conflict between two peoples israel and the palestinians we can't look at one side and not the other, to only look at what Israel does and ignore the Palestinians, ignore what they say, what they think, what they stand for. And so you have the leader. I don't know if he really would be considered the leader of the Palestinians. Technically, he is, but I don't think, you know, whatever. Yeah, no one thinks of him. Palestinians, Jews, no one thinks of him as a leader. Right, but let's just call him the president of of the Palestinian Authority. 
it's very important and relevant for all of these conversations to understand what he's saying and how he's saying it. And if he would just, you know, he ca if he can't even apologize for the torture and murder of these athletes, which, by the way, he was indirectly involved with because he was, like, uh, involved with the Fatah party then, fundraising for them, and this was their operation. Not only can he not apologize for that, which, by the way, to me was more upsetting than the Holocaust stuff because that's what he said before. It was more upsetting to me that he can't apologize for that murder from 50 years ago. But then to t turn it around and to take the Holocaust, which is the defining trauma of the Jewish people, and turn it around to make the Jews the perpetrators of the of 50 Holocaust, and he's the victim. I just think anti-Semitism, there's actually a movement away from the term anti-Semitism toward Jew hatred, which is more of a description of what it actually is. And so if the leader of the Palestinians is spewing Jew hatred on a world stage, I think it's very important to call it that, and not to just call it lies or historical misrepresentations, because that doesn't describe what it is, and that doesn't describe what's going through his head and the worldview that he's espousing and that he stands for. But I, I'm actually not convinced that this is anti-Semitism, Jew hatred, whatever you want to call it. I, I don't understand what's our evidence for that. He's belittling the Holocaust in an effort to change the focus to be about the victim of his nation like that's not about jews he wasn't like, like why did he I, have I don't to think he was doing use it because the word holocaust why not just say israel slaughters palestinians because it would whatever. be because it, it, it's more powerful and because he was in germany and wasn't saying something idiotic meaning uh, I, i'm not saying he's not anti-semitic again like i i don't think that that language is valuable here i think talk about why what he said a is not true and b why using language like that is dehumanizing and un and 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 changes the conversation about the holocaust in a way that is not accurate i think what you're saying is that by using these inflammatory words like anti-semitism we're avoiding talking about the actual content of the discussion which I understand, and I, I acknowledge that. I just think yeah. on the other side, if we don't call it out for what it is, it almost like turns it into a legitimate viewpoint. Like, okay, this is what they say, and this is what we say. No, it's not legitimate because the facts are incorrect. Right, that's the argument. So, so I we think should just make. call it lies like, instead Uri, of if you, Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I want to do. I say it's a lie, and here's why. Because if if Uri, if you say to me like uh, Rifki, like uh, you know what, whatever it is, if you say something offensive and cruel and incorrect, for me to respond back with well, well, that's offensive feels like hold on. But then we can like quibble about whether it's offensive. Is it not offensive? Like, well, that's subjective. Blah blah blah. Instead of like, wait, that's not true. What you said to me is actually not true, and then you. You have no credibility right like i just i just think we, we so often focus on the wrong thing because then you and i can have a conversation was it anti-semitic was it not anti-semitic well what are the contours of anti-semitism instead of what he said was actually blatantly false right okay uh, right israel I, I has done things that are I, problematic it is not the holocaust and let's talk about why that's it Okay, I hear what you're saying. I think you're making a good point, except I don't think it has to be one or the other. I think we can call it anti-Semitism, and then we can say it's a lie, and we can say why it's not true. But anyway, let's let's move on. Why, yeah. I want to hear what your thoughts were on the Peter Beinart article. Yeah, so um, I, it's interesting. So I read the Peter Beinart article uh, on Shabbat because it came in, you know, it was on like the Sunday opinion section or Sunday review mm -hmm. section, whatever. Um, and I thought it was interesting. It was... <laughs> What I actually thought, and I don't know if this is the, you know, if this is the point of the, our conversation right now, but one of the things that I thought was interesting was, I'm like, oh my god, this is going to be a hot button, you know, social media, blah blah blah. And I did not see anyone talking about this article. I'm curious mm -hmm. if you did. Ari. There's, there, I did, but I looked for it. It didn't right. really okay. come up. It didn't come on my newsfeed or anything. Yeah. 
Yeah, like unlike the Abbas story, which like is still, I feel like, you know, all over, um, still in, in conversation, but I did not see anything. Twitter. And, like, it's pretty you know, new. About Maybe, this, it it might Brian still Arthur. happen, but. I mean, it, it, if it came out in the paper on Saturday, that means it was online probably Thursday yeah. or Friday. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the Peter Bryan thing, I think, didn't. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I mean, honestly, like, I, I don't think that it's a. I think his, his basic premise, I think I do fundamentally agree with. I think when we cry anti Semitism too much, when anything about criticism of Israel is called very quickly anti Semitism, I think we're put in a dangerous spot. I. I I fundamentally agree with that premise. Okay. I think we should be very careful. I, first of all, as, as I keep saying, I don't think that language is particularly useful at all. But if we're going to use it, I think we should be very, very clear about when we use it and when we don't. And I think, again, the examples that Peter Brown had brought in the article, right, like of, you know, criticizing certain policies of Israel. And then when people's response is, that's anti-Semitism, instead, no, 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 I see why you think that. But here's why that's actually not accurate. I think we lose a lot of credibility there, too. Explain why it's wrong. Explain why it's not uh, apartheid, right? You like use facts. Don't cry anti-Semitism, whether you think it's anti-Semitic or not. I mean, yeah, Rifki, I'm. It's it's interesting to me that the word you use for the article, your reaction is interesting. Uh, that doesn't really, I guess, say that much. Like, I, I I'm curious if any of it either upset you or you found was unfair or or um you know worded in a purposely confusing way, but. I also just want to go back to what that was a very leading question. You're right. I'm like, what, what am I supposed to find that was? Conf- I uh, didn't. Th- I mean, maybe yeah. maybe I read it too quickly to even realize I should have been confused. Okay, no, if not, that that's fine. Um, I mean, I'm also just curious because you you keep bringing this up. Like, yeah, when it comes to like, let's say racism, do you think it's important to use the word racism, or should we just say no? You're you're making incorrect generalizations about black people, and here's why you're wrong. Yeah. Exactly. I, I think the word, I think thing? words like racism. Yeah. I think those words are, are like kind of like almost distract us from the conversation, especially because they like kind of like change the tenor of the conversation instead of like, wait, here's why that's correct or incorrect or hurtful or whatever. And explain, use examples, use data, right? Like use actual things as opposed to words like racist, anti-Semitic, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, mean I, th- anything. I think we can use both. And I think, I think it's important to use those words. I, yeah, but I, I guess I, I guess I hear what you're saying. You, you do acknowledge that that is a, not a mainstream way of, looking at it like most people thank you that's not a bad thing i guess it's a good thing but most people would say you know especially with racism that's such a huge issue in america now to say we shouldn't use that word so much i think would turn a lot of people off i guess look if if people are want to use words like oh you know if, if you say something and i say hey uri that's racist Fine. If I want to say that, fine. I could say that. But if I say that's racist or that has racist undertones or that flirts with racism, but I don't actually say why it's incorrect, right? If I don't actually right. go okay, beyond, so do both. Just use, then say, I think say, it's meaningless. Right. But but th- that's the Abbas thing, right? Over and over, people are like that's anti-Semitic, and it's like no, explain why it's wrong. Explain why what happened in Daria Scene, while uncomfortable and difficult and complicated, is not anywhere using the word Holocaust, using any of the language that he used, right? right is incorrect. 
I think sometimes responding to those things actually lends it credence and you just say that's anti-Semitic and you leave it at that because it's so it's so far from anything I think true. you lose so much more than you gain I think you lose so yeah. much credibility when you respond it's anti-Semitic okay okay I don't want to lo- run out of time before we actually get into some of the more <laughs> content of the Peter Beinart um, piece because I, you know yeah you said it was a leading question when I asked you when when I read this to me this was a new low for him and it was actually very hard for me to write that introduction without like you know, in, in a, as objective as a way I could, as I could, to just just describe what he's saying, because I I really found it to be so upsetting. And he he you know famously wrote an op-ed in the New York Times uh, a year or two or two ago how he no longer believes in a Jewish state, and to me this was a lot worse than that actually. I think, and this is ironic because maybe I'm like the exact problem that he's talking about because he's calling out Jews who who use the term anti-Semitism inappropriately. But I actually think he is anti-Semitic and he is using anti-Semitic talking points and tropes in this article. And I will show you why I think that. Great. <laughs> he He literally says, Largely as a result of lobbying by Jewish organizations, the American government has embraced the proposition too. That proposition being that the new anti-Semitism is denying the the right of Israel to exist. He's saying the reason why the U.S. As a Jewish state. Right, exists as a Jewish state. The reason why the U.S. government holds that policy, he says, is largely the result of lobbying. Not because the people are thinking for themselves or have any sort of intelligence or historical uh, perspective on things. No, it's because of the Jewish lobbying. Does that not sound okay. anti-Semitic to so, you? So, Uri, Uri, I'm going to do, I'm just, I'm, I'm beating the dead horse. Why is that incorrect? Forget about whether it's anti-Semitic, whether it's a trope, whether it's this. Why is that incorrect? You're saying that's actually not the fundamental reason. There are why actually is it other reasons. How does he know yeah. what's in the, the government officials' brains of why they set the policy the way they do, that the U.S. is allied with Israel and believes that Israel should exist as a Jewish state and people who call for it to not exist as a Jewish state, that's anti-Semitism according to the official U.S. definition. Where does he get that from that he because, knows that it's because well, of the Jewish well, lobby well, that they say hold that? Hold on. The, the Jewish lobbies claim this as a victim themselves. The Jewish okay. lobbies say so after years of lobbying, the State Department has officially changed their definition of anti-Semitism. We did it, guys. We changed uh, the State Department's can, mind. We're the ones who did this. Can you for show Peter me where Reinhardt they say that? Say, largely, absolutely. We can put that in the show notes. 100%. Okay, we'll, we'll look for but that for later. For Peter but... Reinhardt to say that is such an odd thing to say that that's, that's anti-Semitic. Like, this is... That's this is, odd? I, I, I agree with that. You Are think, you, am I an anti-Semite? Think, I think that absolutely, as a result, of lobbying by Jewish organizations, the State Department, maybe there the State Department also thinks Rifky, it's true. Rifky. The, the, the lobby is not, hold on, lobbying is not evil. Exactly. Right? The reason that lobbyists are able to change the State Department's mind is not only because of, you know, money or because of bribes or whatever, like also because lobbyists, hopefully, especially lobbyists for Israel, believe they're doing something good and they believe that they're trying to uh, make the State Department understand that this is actually a very important thing and they won. They did it. There are lobbyists the for every industry and were, for every yes, that's group. True. Environmentalists have tons of lobbyists. Does Absolutely. that mean the U.S. government and Biden are going pro-environmental now and passing this this uh, you know bill to to get green energy and stuff because of lobbyists? Like that just is a very first of all an wait, obnoxious. Wait, or, what? I, I don't. I, I'm I'm actually confused. 
Jewish groups constantly talk about, guys, you have to give more lobbies money to exist. APAC. Of course, look the at the Jewish things that we've exist. done. But he like, says, are you trying? Are you trying to claim that APAC has not had a very intense, heavy influence on the way that the American government interacts with Israel and the way that they they do things? Like, ha- are you trying to claim that it's not true? The U.S. and Israel were allies, first of all, before APAC existed. And second of all, I, uh-huh. I think I think it's just like you're removing the agency and intelligence of these government officials and the people who vote for them. And it's saying that Jewish money and power is what's controlling their decisions. That's conspiratorial. That's anti-Semitic. And that plays into classic accusations against Jews and their money and their power and saying they only believe what they believe because of the lobby. That's an outrageous statement, Rifki. I'm sorry. That's outrageous. Largely as a result of lobbying by Jewish organizations, to me, feels like very accurate. If you want to say it's not accurate and you okay, have I, you know reasons for, for claiming, that's fine. But to, to not address that and to say that's anti-Semitic. No, I'm not denying the existence of the lobby. I think we call out Ilan Omar for saying that the Jewish lobby runs the world. Uh, Peter Barnard actually just signed a letter. I don't know if you saw this. It was, I think, shortly before this article came out. There was a UN official who said that like social media is controlled by the Jewish lobby. And uh, he was cool. ca- called out for anti-Semitism. And Peter Beinart and others signed a letter defending this guy, saying that's not any... He, yes, he, he should have worded it in a better way, but it wasn't anti-Semitic. But same thing. I think that, that's, that's, that's like the oldest... I think no one should get caught up in anti-Semitic. Okay. That's the oldest trope in the book. But I understand that it's a trope, but you make such a better argument by saying, actually, it's not true. He's saying largely as a result, yes, lobbying is involved, but lobbying actually had a very small... Do- 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 Here's actually what happened. Here's actually what they changed Who's the definition. Who's to say how right. much, how someone's mind is made up? How much of it is lobbying and how much of it is their own brain? All you can do is read what the, what has come out. Like I don't under Jewish lobbying groups like APAC. I, I'm really just thinking of APAC. Say explicitly, here's what we did. Here's what. Here's the impact that it had. Like if you're trying to claim that's not true, that's fine. But to say that it's anti-Semitic and to say that like he, he lost okay. more. Credit, I, I like, want to move just on. Feels I, silly to yeah, me. I, I don't think it's all silly right, at all. Ma- but keep I, it going. Keep okay, it going. I, there's Keep actually a lot. We're not going to have time for all of them. Um, he actually even oh, more. And, uh, by the way, and it, yeah. of course, we'll include the link to the article for anyone who hasn't read right. it because I do think it's it's really valuable to read. Yeah, I mean, I I would be tempted to like just read the whole thing out loud on the podcast just so that we could people would know what we're talking about when we reference things. But obviously, yeah. we can't we can't do that. Um, the the fact that she picks that he picks on Deborah Lipstadt also is weird. And so first he picks on her because you know this Amnesty International and Human Rights. Um, calling Israel an apartheid state and really, really harshly attacking Israel more so than other countries in the world like China and Russia and North Korea, whatever. Like, that's fine for him that they do that. And when Deborah Lipstadt calls that out and says that's dangerous and that's putting Jewish students on campuses in danger, for example, he says that no, you're the ridiculous one for saying that, and and you're you're the, you know the damaging one. But then she he calls her out on something even weirder. How B- Biden went to Saudi Arabia and the UAE, and Deborah Lipstadt went with him, and they met with these with these uh, you know officials there, and they're working together, and they're trying to you know nobody claims, no one in America claims that Saudi Arabia is great, and we love them, and and they're you know democracy, and and we admire their their government and the way they run their country, but there's certain things that they work on, and and she. I guess acknowledge some of that and he calls her out for that and and but his claim which I think is insane is that the reason why America 
is cooperating with Saudi Arabia and overlooking some of their human rights abuses is because Saudi Arabia and the UAE have this official or unofficial, um, with Saudi Arabia it's unofficial, um, ties and the Abraham Accords and connections and cooperation with Israel. And therefore, since they're cooperating with Israel, the U.S. is giving them a pass on their human rights abuses. Again, anti-Semitic, saying that Israel and the Jews are at the center of world events and politics and other interests are irrelevant. Wait, Uri, can you read out loud the section that you're referring to? Yes. Because I've read this article and maybe okay. I'm just missing it. I'd be happy Where does to. it actually say that? Sure. Thank you. So he describes how Deborah Lipstadt met with these different people in the UAE and Saudi Arabia. And then Binar, right. Binar writes, when it comes to their own disenfranchised populations, Saudi Arabia and the Emirates are as intolerant as ever. What has changed is their tolerance for Israel's oppression of Palestinians. And because officials like Ms. Lipstadt define the fight against anti-Semitism largely as a fight to legitimize Israel, they legitimize its tyrannical Arab allies as well. Pretty explicit. He's saying they legitimize the UAE and Saudi Arabia because those countries legitimize Israel, not because they have oil or because there's other strategic interests that America might have or because America's in this conflict with Iran and these countries are opposed to Iran. So there's, you know, strategic allyship. No, none of that has anything to do with it. It's all because of Israel. That is, I'm sorry, anti-Semitic. Wait, I, I'm sorry. Do you not see one more time? I, I think I think I think I am missing something. And because officials like Miss Lipstadt, are you saying that when, that line? Because officials like Miss Lipstadt define the fight against anti-Semitism, Israel. You're right. saying officials like Miss Lipstadt refers to American government and American well, policy. That's what he's talking about. He's basically saying why why are they why is she as part of the Biden envoy? She was with. Oh, Biden. so I read that differently. And maybe you're right, but that's not how I read it. I read it and if, because officials like Miss Lipstadt define the fight, right? Officials like Miss Lipstadt referring to uh, people who are and I guess government of people, but also like government people and also, you know, nonprofit and NGO, whatever, who are specifically thinking and writing and working on Israel and the uh, uh, Abraham Accords and Israel Palestinian conflict, like people who are kind of in that particular realm. Uh, like, you know, all the, all the organizations that he talks about in this article, right? Like the AJC and the ADL and things like that. Maybe I'm wrong, especially okay, the I word mean, officials is weird. A, like yeah, officials it's a little bit unclear, like a more governmental but, word. Right. But who are officials like Ms. Lipstadt? Like she wasn't, The Biden right. administration is not officials like Ms. Lipstadt. So I guess it's a confusing phrase. I agree. But to me, it is not at all clear that like what he means is that obviously America does well, not care and the world is controlled by Israel. Like that's not, I, a, I, that I, feels like really far well, away from that. I hear your question of like, she's talking about, he's talking about, Lipstadt. So how do I go from there to, to Biden and the U.S.? But Lipstadt was not there representing Jewish organizations in America. She she's an employee of the Biden administration, and she was there with yeah. Biden. So it's I only would, I, I think it's only logical to Peter say that. Beiner, I, I would want to ask Peter Beiner what he okay. meant by that. Okay. I feel like even if you, or even if I, even if I don't fundamentally agree with his premise, but I think I, I do lean more towards agreeing with his premise. But even if I didn't, like I feel like. It's a confusing enough phrase that I feel like he deserves the right to clarify it. So, you know, we'll have him on the show next week. Uh, I'd rather not. But um, if he if he talks about it somewhere else, we could quote that. In addition to multiple things that he says that I think are actually blatantly anti-Semitic, he also, I think, yeah. I think his argument is just lazy. And whenever people, and I actually, I want to give you a compliment. This is because of you and, and talking to you over, over these years that I'm much more... 
attuned to this, when people use straw man arguments unfairly, it really makes me lose respect yeah. for their argument. And so in the very next paragraph to the one that I just read, he, he then continues to pick on, on Lipstadt and he says, Miss Lipstadt's defenders might argue that Jews can't afford to be picky about our friends. In a world where anti-Semitism remains a frightening reality, we should look out only for ourselves. So he's portraying the other side of the argument as saying like, hey, there's anti-Semitism in the world. He acknowledges that there is. Therefore, we should only care about ourselves. But that is such a straw man. Nobody is saying that. Who is saying? Show me one person who's saying we only look out for ourselves and we shouldn't care about any other human beings because there's anti-Semitism. Nobody says that. And the fa- that's how he characterizes the quote-unquote defenders of Deborah Lipstadt. Right. I think that's just, yeah. that's not anti-Semitic. That's just I, a terrible I, argument. I agree that that's a, a bad, I, I think if he could have said the most ardent version of Miss Lipstadt supporters could argue, like meaning he, if, if you're setting up a straw man, at least acknowledge that it's a made up thing and it's an extreme. You're using it to set an example and not actually, you know, real people. Well, if he was being an example, he wouldn't say this is not a real example. But yeah, sure. <laughs> I also, but, just, but overall, Uri, yeah, I think I think yeah. really when it gets when it gets the end of it, I I think. Well, part of the reason that I feel like this whole question of like whether something is anti-Semitic or not anti-Semitic is because like you're saying that you fundamentally think that Peter Bynard's article and argument feels like the you know the I don't remember the exact expression you used but you know it's the, the lowest he's ever been or something like that and that you think it is anti-Semitic and if I'm like so are you are you trying to claim that I'm anti-Semitic like I don't understand like if I fundamentally basically do agree with his premise then am I anti-Semitic is that the claim you're making I'm not offended I'm trying to understand I'm genuinely not offended. I feel pretty secure enough in my love for fellow Jews that other people call me an anti-Semite doesn't hurt me. First of all, Rifty, I'm not going to call you an anti-Semite. But second of all, I don't... But you can! But you call yourself a Zionist, so I don't understand why you're saying you agree with what he's saying so much. Because this argument is not about Zionism. This argument... like This article is not saying... Rifty, we've just... Okay, my my overarching reaction to Beinart and what I want to say to you is that like we've discussed plenty of times in the past where you acknowledge it. Beinart doesn't seem to want to acknowledge that based on the last thing that I just read. But like there is such a thing as anti-Israel veering into anti-Semitism. Do you agree with that? Yeah. That, 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 and that there is a concept that he sort of references, but belittles this idea in the article that, there is this concept, but he talks about a, a book that was written like 50 years ago uh, by two ADL leaders talking about this. Um, and obviously it has to be from the ADL because that, that's going to be easier to discredit. But that like Jonathan Sachs, Rabbi Sachs talked about this also, that like anti-Semitism has morphed over the centuries. And in our current century or the previous and current century, a new version of anti-Semitism is just replacing the word Jew with Israel. And then you can say a lot of the same exact anti-Semitic tropes and and slurs, etc. But you're talking about Israel and not the word Jews. And therefore, it has like this sort of like cover, but it's very transparent and obvious where that's coming from. Not obviously, that's not every criticism of Israel. It's not maybe even most criticism of, of Israel. It's some of the criticisms. And so I, I think it's, First of all, so... Wait, I just want yeah. to interrupt to say that I don't know that I buy that. I thought you just said you agree. 
I don't think I buy that the new oh. anti-Semitism is anti-Israel and you could just replace the word and that's what, like, I, I don't believe that that, that is. Well, I'm, I'm not I saying it's the maybe new Maybe it's true, anti- maybe it's, it's not, but new, I just don't. Yeah, I think it's a new anti-Semitism. It's a new str- strain of anti-Semitism. There are people who use uh, Israel and use this idea of being anti-Israel as a, a, a a way to be I mean, there's sure. Yeah, there's there's people who also like I'm sure you've seen and heard this. They they replaced the word Jew with Zionist, like as a as a slur, as a derogatory term. Like there were there were three Zionists over there sure. who whatever. Like that's obviously connecting it to Israel and they're not they're talking about Jewish people in a different country and they refer to them as Zionists. Like right. yeah, like the, seeing a guy with a kippah and punching him in the head and saying, you know, free Palestine. Yes. I, I agree. That's These a different things, thing, but, well, but also that, yeah. But I, I don't. I'm saying I think it's it's all kind of the same thing of sort of like associating, assuming that any Jew believes X and therefore punishing them for that belief. Right. Yes. But I'm even just saying like using the word Zionist as a slur for Jewish people. That's the perfect combining. I've never of those actually two heard things. that. It's also funny because there are so many Jews who are anti-Zionist, so it's like a funny thing to to say. Well, that's that what like, anti-Semitism is, lumping Jews together and just like say they're communists and they're capitalists. They're this and they're that, you know, like that's the whole point. Um, I think my main, without getting into like the details that I, that I already mentioned, my main problem with this article is that I think Peter Barnard, I, I know he's not stupid and I know that he knows a lot about Judaism, Jewish history. I think he's willfully ignorant of just the history of anti-Semitism and the attitudes that people of the world have had and still have towards Jews, or at least have demonstrably had, you know, in very, very recent history. And he kind of like seems to pretend that that is, doesn't exist. So the very first paragraph of his article and the whole point of his article, he says, Over the past 18 months, America's most prominent Jewish organizations have done something extraordinary. They have accused the world's leading human rights organizations of promoting hatred of Jews. Okay, so he says it's extraordinary. And I think he elaborates the reason why it's extraordinary is because these are the quote-unquote most respected human rights organizations in the world. So they should know a thing or two about human rights. And they're saying that Israel is violating human rights. So for these Jewish organizations to come and say, we don't trust those organizations, we think they might actually not like Jews very much much to Peter Beinhart he's saying that's extraordinary that's crazy how could that possibly be to me that's like he's again he's being willfully ignorant of the fact that up until a minute ago historically all of those countries explicitly hated Jews wouldn't let Jewish refugees into their countries when they knew that they were being slaughtered in Europe etc etc and you know plenty of them had pogroms and massacres of their own okay and now all of a sudden Peter Bonner is saying how could these stupid Jews in America not trust these international organizations like do you not do you see what I'm saying yeah I think that's a fair argument I think it's very fair for Jews to be cynical about uh, international yes. and domestic <laughs> organizations and think that maybe our best interests are not at their heart because we have historically seen a lot of evidence yes, of that to thank be true. You. I, I'm with you on that. Okay. Okay, I, so you've made four arguments and <laughs> I'm I buy that one. Okay, well the last one no, was I the th- winning uh, one. No, but I, I think I think it's I think it's very fair. I think No, it, and he doesn't acknowledge a very he doesn't extreme thing to say. He's, he's yeah, very exactly. black and white. He does like I said, he makes the straw yeah. man. He doesn't acknowledge why Israel or Jewish people might be skeptical of these yeah. bodies. Like to, to me, it's like it's a it's very yeah. upsetting. I don't know. I, I, I don't understand him, to be honest, because we've spoken to him. I've met him in person. He honestly seems like a nice guy. And I this is definitely not about criticize, you know, 
ad hominem saying he's like a jerk or whatever. I I don't think that. I don't want to say that. I just will say I just don't understand him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I don't think I understand him, but I don't think I understand anyone. Um, I barely understand myself. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think at the end of the day, like I, I, I agree that there are things that I would have written this very differently, I think. But at the end of the day, I, I do think I, I agree with his fundamental argument. And at the end of the day, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I guess I will go back and make my own fundamental argument that all of this is a distraction. Talk about why Abbas is wrong. Talk about why Human Rights Watch is wrong. Talk about why critics of Israel who use apartheid language are wrong. Talk about, like, all of those things should be. Talk about why we work with the UAE. When I say Israel, when I say we, I mean Israel. Why we work with UAE. Why we work with Saudi Arabia, right? And make the argument, look, there. sometimes you have to be politically expedient. And here's why it's a painful reality. And here's why. Make the case for it. Right? Like these things are fair for Deborah Lipstadt to go on and say, like, I'm very heartened by what I saw. We're doing much better when it's these places are, are really, really, really problematic and upsetting. And, and there's demonstrable data that shows those things. It does make her lose credibility. Maybe just with me. Fine. Maybe just with me and Peter Barner, just the two of us. But I do think like I think Deborah Lipstadt is, has done incredible work and will continue to do extraordinary work in the Biden administration. This is not a knock on her. But and to a certain extent, she's now in the administration. She has to toe the party line to a certain extent. She, maybe all of them are uncomfortable, but there's politics and whatever. I understand that it's complicated. I wouldn't be a good politician. I recognize that but these things i can understand why it's really cringy for those of us who care about human rights to say like wait what the heck is going on and i know listen i just also want to say you know he he goes he gives lips that such a hard time for speaking to people in saudi arabia and saying anything nice about them yet peter beinard himself is very in favor of the Iran deal. He wants to appease Iran and give them oh, hundreds I, I, of millions of dollars so that they can continue their terror activity. But that's fine. That does oh not... That... Wait, all right, hold on. I think what you just said is hilarious. But also, the thing that I thought was so funny is that it's, it's similar, right, in that what he believes and what many left-wing uh, American or Israeli whatever people believe is that you work with the you hold your nose and you work with the Palestinians because you have to make peace sometimes. And even though people like Abbas have done awful, murderous, mm -hmm. treacherous things, even though you still, you have to figure it out. But then, when Israel does things like that with Saudi Arabia or UAE okay, or America good. does, then say, it's like, what the heck? Another so good that was argument. the first thing yeah. that I actually wrote down. At least be like, consistent. It, that, you know, say, yeah. do we should we should talk to the, these regimes or we shouldn't talk to them. You can't have, right. he's having right. it both ways. Yeah, I mean, it, whatever. It's it, you, don't, you can't do everything. It's a short opinion piece. That's why Peter Barnard, you are welcome back anytime. We would love to chat with you, as always. Um, actually, one of the things that I really liked about Peter Barnard last time we spoke to him is that he, I, I really, really respected that he really liked talking about ideas. He does not get offended easily. He Well, he stays not, cool and calm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, he's like, he just wants to have conversations about ideas. And even if you disagree with him strongly, he's like very, very open to that, which I like really appreciate. Yeah, he's probably used to it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm sure that's true. Yeah, he's willing to engage with anyone. Right, even, right. You know, yeah, I give, him, I give him credit for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, of course, as always, the conversation does not end with, with us and with Peter Barnard. It's with all of you. So please be in touch. Join the conversation on our Facebook page, Talking Talkless Podcast. And of course, shoot us an email, talkingtalklesspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, as always, to Drive In Productions. They are the sponsor of this week's episode. And thank you to Triple Threat Trio featuring Rage Brigade. They are the official band of Talking Talkless. Bye, everyone. Zagazund. Zagazund.